podcast. This is Will Doran here with my colleague Don Vaughn. Uh, we know y'all are used to hearing us on Mondays, uh, but we decided to come at you with a special post-election uh, episode about the primaries that we just had on Tuesday. Uh, some big news, I mean, national news. Everyone was following the the Madison Cawthorn race. Obviously, the Senate race here is huge. You know, that could really help kind of decide which party ends up in control of the Senate. Uh, for the second half of Joe Biden's uh, first term as president. So some big news here. Um, obviously, in addition to Cawthorn, we had uh, Valerie Fouché winning the Democratic primary in Durham. That's basically the de facto election since that is such a liberal area. Um, Don, what were some other highlights that you saw from, from election night? Uh, looking at the at the legislature, the two biggest races were Outside of our immediate area in Raleigh, the um, Fayetteville area primary between sitting Democrat Kirk Devier and Val Applewhite, um, which was a result of Devier being primaried. Listeners to this or anyone that works in the building knows that is a verb also, and it absolutely happens, and that's what happened. And then really what, as election night went on, one thing that stood out to me was the Deanna Ballard-Ralph Heiss race, which we can you know talk more about as we, as we go through the races. But that was really close all night long. And in the end, Heiss won. Yeah. And, you know, we'd be remiss, too, without mentioning uh, really potentially the only swing district uh, congressionally, at least. There's a few state legislative districts that will be competitive in November. But uh, potentially the only one that's going to be competitive in November is really right in our backyard. Uh, it's where I live, actually, the 13th district, which is kind of the Raleigh suburbs plus Johnston County, uh, plus a few kind of outlying more rural areas. Um, that one's going to be really interesting. It's setting up uh, a contest between two uh, younger uh, people, which you don't often see in politics, um, with uh, Wiley Nickel on the Democratic side and Bo Hines on the Republican side. Um, that's definitely going to be one to watch. Um, but let's talk about Cawthorn. Uh, <laughs> I've got some thoughts on, on, uh, congressional th- on 13. I like that you said younger cause Wiley, Nicole and I, I think are both generation X. So yes, we're very young. Um, you know, not as young as Bo Hines. <laughs> Who's 26, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about, about Cawthorn. As so many people ask national, you know, state, local in his district, what, what is it going to be? What is it going to matter to to his actual voters? What did unaffiliated voters um, have a have a part in that? Probably because you know, as as if you all don't know, in North Carolina, if you're an unaffiliated voter, you can pick which party's ballot to uh, ballot to vote in an election. So an unaffiliated voter who um, may have leaned left and decided to you know vote Republican because they didn't want Cawthorn, but looking at the, how much of a gap in votes for Chuck Edwards, who's a state senator versus Cawthorn, I don't really think that was much of a factor. Maybe the people that actually live in the district already and were going to vote Republican and didn't like that their Republican representative, um, you know, district shopped or and then came back. And and then, of course, the many, many scandals. Yeah, I mean, there were there was so much involving Cawthorn. It's really hard to say what necessarily doomed him. And probably the answer is that it wasn't any one single thing. It was a ton of different things. And, you know, I, I should also say I, I was wrong about this race. And I think 
probably anyone who tells you they knew exactly what was going to happen is lying to you. But I kind of assumed going into it on election night that either Cawthorn would pull out a narrow win or it would go into a runoff with Chuck Edwards, at which case all bets are off because there were, what, eight or nine people running in that race. But if nobody reached 30 percent, then it would just be the top two, um, in which case it's basically like, you know, a recall election, essentially. You know, do you like Cawthorn or do you, or do you not? Right. Um, and but Edwards got enough votes to even avoid the runoff. Um, and uh, that surprised me. I think that surprised a lot of people. Um I think it maybe even surprised Cawthorn, uh, who had a had an election night party uh, that our our colleague Avi Bashpai was out, and he said Cawthorn showed up for a couple minutes and then pretty quickly left, and then they got word that he had just headed home. I actually really thought we would have more runoffs. I wrote a story explaining what maybe that was like planted the seed in my mind, but of you know what the runoff process is, and the second primary would have been July twenty sixth, which at this point. I don't think we're having that at state level races or legislative races that, that I'm aware of. Yeah. Right. So, but honestly, in, in NC4, I thought it was a possibility with Fushi and Alum, but um, Nita Alum got more than 30% of the vote, I believe. Fushi got way more than 30% of the vote. Clay Aiken did um, more poorly than I than I thought he would. I thought he may have drawn off some voters who didn't want Fushi for whatever reason and didn't want Alam for whatever reason. But uh, nope, it basically became, you know, between the two of them. And and this district, if, if those of you aren't, aren't familiar with the map of NC4, yes, is Durham and Chapel Hill, and it's uh, Congressman Price's former district, or soon to be former district since he's retiring. But it also included Alamance and Granville and a little bit of Caswell in person. And those demographics are a little bit different politically and everything else. Those are much more rural, conservative kind of counties, um, especially compared to, <laughs> you know, the, the deep, deep blue of Chapel Hill and mm-hmm. Durham. It's interesting that Fushi uh, won and she's Orange County. So, you know, she follows Price, who is also Orange County. So even though Durham is the largest population center in the district, Durham, again, does not get a a Durham member of Congress. And that's just, you know, how how it fell with who the, you know, the candidate uh, pool was for this time. Well, let me ask you this, Don, because you you covered Durham for a long time, obviously. And on the Republican side, in some of these crowded competitive primaries, uh, we saw, you know, that Trump's endorsement helped. Uh, it, it wasn't enough to save Cawthorn. You know, he came out and said, you know, let's give Madison a second chance. Voters decided not to. But Trump's endorsement did lift Ted Budd up over Pat McCrory. It lifted up Bo Hines over a really huge field in NC-13 over several candidates who were actually from the district and a little bit more well-known. So, you know, that clearly helped swing things a little bit. There's also the Club for Growth, which is a Republican group that dumped just millions of dollars into both Hines and Budd. Um, But there's not necessarily like a, a kingmaker like Trump on the Democratic side. So what was it, do you think, that that helped Fushi not only win that race, but win as convincingly as she did. Really, a lot of people have said this phrase that Durham is endorsement town. And sure, you can count Bernie Sanders endorsed Nid Alum, but she worked for his campaign before, so that was a given. She also got Elizabeth Warren and some of the squad's endorsements. Um, Valerie Fushi got the Congressional Black Caucus. She got G.K. Butterfield. And in the in the days right before primary day, she got a lot of local endorsements too, which makes a a big difference. 
And I don't know like the exact line of, of every single um, Durham politician, but I believe most of the of the African-American Durham politicians endorse Fushi, who is who is African-American herself. And race is always a factor in Durham elections because it, um, it fluctuates over time, but it's generally about um, even half and half between uh, white residents and black residents. And representation is significant of, of who you want to be um, reflecting the community and office, both in local government and, and broader. So um, voters think about that. The endorsements are... Um, Fushi had the endorsement of the Durham Committee on the Affairs of Black People, which has been around over a century, I think. And they're a very significant pack in Durham. And the alum had the People's Alliance, which is a, a has a diverse pack, but it's still, um, you know, historically a, um, a, a white resident pack. And there are other groups, too. But uh, that's, a, you know, generally about how that about how that fell. And then even like the council endorsements at the last minute it was coming. So I do think that makes a difference in, in Durham because it's so blue that who you like on city council and who they wanted in Congress actually matters to you where in other places it doesn't. Do you think that's why Clay Aiken struggled? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people were surprised to see him get s- such a a small percentage of the vote there. And he did have some national endorsements, um, you know, Equality Pack, which is the group that's kind of associated with the Congressional LGBT Caucus, had endorsed him. Um, he had some other kind of national groups behind him, and obviously he's a celebrity, he's well-known, but do you, do you think that's maybe why is he wasn't really able to kind of get into that local endorsement circuit, <laughs> for lack of a better word? I'll be interested to look at the um, voter turnout in all of the areas and if if that's any indicator on if this election was driven by Durham voters or Orange County voters. The other thing, too, and especially with Durham, if you really want to get the support of people, is that you have to put your time in. Because even at the city council level, there have been people who have run who didn't serve on a board first, like one of like the sub council. And Nita Lum is one who uh, she had applied at one point to be on a, a vacant city council seat um, when Mayor Shul moved from council to the to the mayor seat, former Mayor Shul. And she ended up being on the mayor's council for women. And then she ran for Durham County Commissioner. So she has that local government experience of being like really in the weeds of constituent services. And I think that that counts. Her resume is a lot shorter than Fushi. Um, Fushi was on Orange County Commissioners. And people remember that, or at least they remember your name. And I think that goes a lot further that somebody, you know, sometimes you have to deal with sidewalks and um, city worker pay, county worker, all these things, you know, teacher raises within your, you know, the county commissioners control that and people don't forget. So yeah. Durham has long memories, that's for sure. Yeah, well, that's a good point. You know, uh, I think, you know, Alam is, uh, I think, in her late 20s and Fushi, I believe, is in her 50s or her 60s. Um, and so that's another issue, too, you know, where you have, you know, two different, you know, ages of candidates and, you know, very different resumes and amounts of experience. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's there's so many factors in all of these races. So. I mean, there's the super PAC money. Did that impact voters who maybe hadn't decided that were fine with either one of them and they saw all these ads for Fushi at the end? Uh, you know, maybe it did. 
Um, we, you know, we talked at the beginning about the Kirk Devier being primary by Val Applewhite. Um, and there were, you know, a lot of ads on Applewhite's behalf that came, you know, came out after Cooper decided to endorse her and, and not, and not Devier, but both she and Devier were both former city council members in Fayetteville. They also, I believe, both ran for mayor at the same time and both lost. So, you know, the really like the ground game of people within their public service is significant. And for some people go and like they weren't paying attention anyway, and they'll vote for whatever reason they feel like. And maybe it's an ad or all these people wouldn't spend money on ads to try to change people's votes, too. Yeah, clearly it works or else they wouldn't drop millions of dollars on it. But let's just back it up real quick and then uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, You know, you mentioned Kirk Devier and Val Applewhite in the not a congressional race like the other races we've been talking about, but a state Senate race. And I said a couple minutes ago that there's not really a, a Democratic kingmaker like you have with Trump. But, uh, you know, Cooper was Governor Cooper was kind of throwing his muscle around in this race uh, and got a st- sitting state senator taken out of office. Essentially, you wrote about this. What was uh, briefly uh, catch us up to speed on on why that happened and what it means now that we're in the short session and the legislature has a, a new budget process ahead of us in the next month or so. Yeah, the governor still needs Devier because there's a whole legislative session. So it's a risk there. And you need moderate Democrats the same way you need more left Democrats if you want all Democrats to vote a certain way um, or most of the time or some of the time. And so that that's definitely a risk there. The other risk is that can Applewhite defeat the Republican candidate, Wesley Meredith, who was also a, a state senator that Devier beat twice. So that's a risk there. So Cooper, you know, if you look at like him, you know, trying to primary somebody or, or the other people and the supporters. And again, this wasn't just Cooper's endorsement. It was all this money. It's always about money that was spent on the race. So if that ends up working out and he has a guaranteed vote for everything that he wants to do, then that was a good move. If it turns out that the Democrats lose a seat in the Senate, probably not a good move. So the general election is significant. As everybody knows, the primary is just the first round. And we'll find out how a lot of this plays out in the general, but also what happens in the legislature. We have people that are, you know, guaranteed going to be in Congress that are in legislature this session. So what's Senator Fushi going to do? What's Senator Edwards going to do? What's, you know, everyone else that's running? Jeff Jackson, you know, Ben Clark, Charles Graham. We've got a lot of state lawmakers that are, you know, on their way or hopefully on their way, you know, that they see it anyway to Congress. Well, I think that's as good of a segue as any as uh, your uh, if you, you mentioned a lot of names there, but we've got to pick one for the headliner of the week. Who's it going to be? My headliner of the week is Deanna Ballard. Um, state senator from Western North Carolina. And what I mentioned at the beginning was her and Ralph Heiss. And for those of you that spend time in the legislative building at all, you know, beyond those that already know Ballard and Heiss from, from their districts, is that they're both very prominent Republicans. Ballard, I would say, other than Kravik, is the most prominent Republican woman in the whole legislature, I would say, absolutely the Senate. And she, they're both, you know, committees, she's in charge of education, highest is probes, and like, that's a big deal. But um, it's going to be, it's going to be strange not to have Ballard in the Senate, because she's been the face of, you know, Republican education policy with reopening um, schools for in-person learning, which affect, affected everybody. 
uh, and any sort of other issues. And yeah, it's going to be a big change. So uh, Deanna Ballard and her her service in the Senate. She's my she's my headliner. I think that's a, a solid pick. Um, I think if I had to pick one, it would probably be with one race that we haven't talked about yet, which would be Don Davis, another current state lawmaker uh, who's hoping to go up to Congress in the first district. That's kind of the uh, the more rural northeastern North Carolina district covers Greenville, Rocky Mount. He's going to be running against Sandy Smith, uh, who also ran in 2020 and lost to G.K. Butterfield. Butterfield uh, decided to not run for re-election, um, opening up the door for Davis, who just won the primary. Um, and if he wins that, um, it would actually be the first time ever that North Carolina has had three black members of Congress at the same time. Uh, there's been times that we've had two. Uh, and this year it looks like basically Valerie Fushi and Alma Adams are basically guaranteed to win. They're one of the Democratic primaries in areas that are, you know, 80-20 Biden kind of counting. So it, we have two already. Uh, if Davis wins, that would be the state's third member of Congress. And if Sherry Beasley pulls off a win in the Senate race, uh, the state would have four black members in the congressional delegation. Uh, and, you know, from going from never having had more than two to potentially four, that is, would be a potential massive increase in the, uh, the power of the, the state's black electorate. Um, so that's definitely something to watch there. And that will be my headliner of the week. That's a really big deal. Good headliner. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you everyone for listening and check back in on Monday uh, when we are going to be back with a legislative session preview. Uh, you'll get a little bit more detail on some of the budget stuff that we've been talking about here. Plus we'll talk about abortion medical marijuana, and lots more fun stuff to come. We appreciate y'all listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.